agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at North Kentucky University. I'm joined today by Cleveland Area Attorney and Republican factotum, Jay Carson. Hey, Jay. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I am hanging in there. How about you? I'm I'm good. I'm uh, I'm feeling better than a free range uh, pangolin uh, in China. So <laughs> you had it. I like it. Anyway, uh, before we get started today, I want to ask all of our listeners, if you can maybe give us a hand actually in improving the politics, guys. Over on our Bipartisan Politics Reddit group, I have a post called What You Love and Hate About the Politics Guys Host, where I ask everyone to evaluate what you know you think the main strengths and weaknesses of all of us are. And we've already gotten some great feedback. It's going to be very helpful, but we would definitely appreciate more. And I'll put the link in today's show notes to that. But also, if you'd rather not go onto the, the Reddit page, you can just send us an email about individual host hosting teams or any of your thoughts or ideas, because we're always looking to give you the best possible show possible. And of course, our the best possible show possible. Jeez. OK, anyway, I uh, need to work on that. But uh, you can reach us at mail at politicsguys.com. And thanks so much in advance for helping us to keep on improving the show. So we're ad free this week, which really, I think, is in large part due to the big downturn caused by, you know, social distancing and stay at home orders. And we, like a lot of places, are definitely taking something of an economic hit, which is why we're especially grateful to the people who are doing okay and who've you know stepped up to help us out. And I especially want to thank this week Mark and Lindsay, both of whom made very generous contributions to the show through PayPal. Now, while Patreon is our preferred platform because it makes it a lot easier for me to ensure that supporters are getting everything they're entitled to, I know some people aren't crazy about Patreon or, you know, they just rather do a one-time donation as opposed to a monthly thing. But whether it's Patreon or PayPal, all of our supporters get access to a full-length bonus show each week, as well as other stuff at different levels of support. And for the last few weeks, I've actually been adding in a second full-length bonus show for supporters because With my classes at NKU going online, I've been doing audio recordings of my lectures, which I thought, yeah, you know, I can release these on Patreon for supporters. And so far, I've hit Congress, the presidency and the executive branch and part one of the Supreme Court. And so still to come, if there's a part one, there's obviously a part two. And uh, I'll also be be talking about public policy and the 2020 elections. So to check all that out, you can go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. And for PayPal, you'll find a support link at politicsguys.com slash support. And those links are also always included in our show notes. Finally, if you like all this bonus content, but you can't afford to financially support the show right now, that's totally not a problem. Just email me, mike at politicsguys.com, and I will make sure you get access to everything that we're putting out there. So, Jay, uh, I I think obviously we're going to be starting with, well, what we've been talking about (laughs) for uh, a a long time now. It's, of course, COVID-19, but a different aspect. Kind of, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A different aspect of it. So um, because, you know, as everyone I think who's not been living in a cave knows, there's been a lot of tension between President Trump and some uncertain governors, at least, over the COVID-19 response. And A number of listeners have asked us to discuss federalism in the context of COVID-19. And this week, President Trump helped us out because the matters really come to the fore. On Monday, the president says, when somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total. And that's the way it's got to be. And then on Tuesday, he tweeted, tell the Democrat governors that Mutiny on the Bounty was one of my all-time favorite movies. A good old-fashioned mutiny every now and then is an exciting and invigorating thing to watch, especially when the mutineers need so much from the captain. Too easy. So, so That ended up not working out real well for the, the captain, though. You know, I, uh, well, the first thing I think I and on, a lot of people Bounty, yeah, who but... actually knew the movie thought was, wait a second, does Donald Trump think Captain Bly was the hero of Mutiny <laughs> on the Bounty? Uh, but so, although, although, no, I, I, I do, Mike. I do want to interject something as yeah. a as a um, uh, sailor, yachtsman, uh, so forth. Um, Captain Bly, in 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 many ways, is is an incredible example, though, of of seamanship and and guts in in that. Uh, 
you know, he was, was sort of set adrift in that little boat and he, he literally made it back to England, uh, you know, more or less on his own. Um, so in that sense, I, I just don't sometimes yeah. I think, you know, you may not look like Captain Bly, but some of his his seamanship skills uh, cannot be questioned. <laughs> Hitler loved dogs. And yeah, anyway, but yeah, no, fair, fair point. Fair point. So, I, I mean, obviously, that was just Trumpian hyperbole, but it does, you know, it does bring up that question of that question of, of federalism, certainly. And so, Jay, I wanted to, you know, what do you, I want to get your thoughts on what you what you thought about that Monday comment, which was the more serious sort of thing, which he kind of sort of walked back a little bit, I guess you could say. And then that Tuesday tweet in, in terms of what you think it says about Donald Trump's view of the relationship between the federal government and the states or, you know, just federalism in general in this time of crisis. Well, uh, as as you would expect, uh, I'm a big fan of federalism, yeah. as are most conservatives. Uh, it is perhaps one of the the cornerstones of sort of conservative doctrine, right? Uh, um, uh, so, uh, I, you know, and I'll tell you, I did watch the Monday press conference, and I usually don't. It was just sort of happenstance that that it was on, and and I was watching it. Um, but plainly, I, I don't. I, I mean, for me to try to psychoanalyze Donald Trump is is again that's beyond my scope. Yeah. Uh, but what what he was saying. Uh, would be consistent with uh, someone who did not understand the principle of federalism. Um, I, I guess that's the, the most charitable way I can put it. Um, the president does not have absolute power. Uh, there are instances where the president has uh, pretty significant power, uh, particularly in emergencies. Uh, there are uh, reasons where doctrines under which the federal government does have not doctrine. It's 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 actually a clause. It's called the supremacy clause, where the federal government does have uh, supremacy to uh, sort of act uh, in counter counter contradict uh, or order uh, state action um, in in some cases. But uh, all those all those those powers are are sort of cabined by the the constitution. There's you know it, it's not just a plenary. I'm the president and my power is is uh, absolute, as as he said. Now, so that's that's my first thought. Uh, the other thought, the other charitable reading, um, and maybe this is uh, charitable, there's a difference between um, uh, authority and power. Uh, now, Trump may, in fact, lack the constitutional authority to to have sort of the ultimate power over these things. Uh, but he may have enough political power to get what he wants regardless. And, and that's not to make it sound sinister, uh, because that's that's sort of what all presidents do. Right. I mean, all all um, all, all of these these checks and balances and so forth are subject to uh, the the political will, uh, ultimately, of the voters. So if uh, if if Trump believes that uh, if he's going to make a statement saying I declare the U.S. is open for business and and certain governors say, well, hold on, not our state, uh, political pressure may grow upon those governors to to get in line uh, or not. I mean, that's that's the way it goes. And that that sort of calculus, sure. you know, the actual constitutional power doesn't doesn't come into play. It, it's more just just politics. Yeah. So that would be my other charitable reading is maybe that's sort of what he meant. Um, I don't think it was, though. Um, no, no, I, and uh, of I course, think it and, was just, you yeah. know, Trump being Trump. So and of course, with with that power and authority, most people would say, even if you even if you grant that, which almost nobody really has, it comes with a, a, a level of responsibility. And sure. and already President Trump has famously says, said that yeah. he's not responsible for any of this. Yeah. So uh, and that's kind of, I think, in the walking back. And, you know, when we saw when we saw the plan, the actual plan later on uh, or, you know, a few days ago that the White House, that the administration released, which, which is very federalist. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that that's that's the president realizing and in some of his later statements saying that, hey, this is up to the states, because while he would like the he I think he likes the idea of having absolute power, that idea of being responsible for anything is not something that is very appealing to uh, to him, you know, and sure. But but also, you know, in a way, it, it almost feels sort of sad and desperate to me. You know, the, if you are if you are a competent authoritarian, you don't really say that you have absolute power and all this. You just 
You know, you just do these things. Exactly. Right? Mussolini didn't need to didn't need to tell people I have absolute power. Yeah, you just yeah, you, yeah, you just act that way. And so we, you know, I, in a way, I'm sort of grateful by the fact that you know he's not a very good authoritarian, although he wishes he you know wishes he were. But you know, as to the more substantive issue of federalism, of course. You know, a number of public health experts, a bunch of them actually, have been saying for a while that what we need are 50 state stay-at-home orders. And as of uh, today, I believe there are still five states that haven't issued any, and all of which, all of these states have Republican governors, uh, Arkansas, Iowa, Nebraska, North Dakota, and South Dakota. Uh, And, uh, you know, also in states that there have just been partial orders, there are a couple of those, Oklahoma, Utah, and Wyoming, again, all Republican states. And But I should also point out, I think it's only fair to say that with the very notable exception of South Dakota, which uh, last time I checked, which was yesterday evening, has the 15th highest rate of coronavirus per capita, uh, those other states all rank somewhat low to fairly low in per capita cases. So, I mean, again, though, even if you're talking per capita in South Dakota, um, in real numbers, that's going to tend to be a fairly small number. Right, right, because there just aren't that many, there just aren't that many people. Yeah. So on the one hand, you can say, I think, well, maybe that's an instance of South Dakota aside, where a lot of that was, you know, concentrated in that one, that's a Smithfield plant, I believe. You can say, well, for the most part, maybe governors are making, you know, wise decisions on that, and this is federalism sort of working. But on the other hand, you have states with governors who acted, you know, early and aggressively, like I would say uh, Ohio and Kentucky are two very good examples, you know, uh, and per capita rates of infection, at least positive tests, have been considerably lower than what you might expect. I mean, Ohio is 30th and, and Kentucky is 42nd. But then you can look right next door to Kentucky, say, in a state like Tennessee, where they waited a lot longer and the per capita rate is a lot higher. And then there's also the South Dakota thing. So, I, I mean, it seems to me that it's sort of a mixed bag here uh, that I guess that federalism works really well, or, or, or I would say that a, a national coordinated response might be better when you have a very competent leader at the helm who is wise and intelligent and all that sort of thing. But, but I mean, that's part of, right, that's part of what makes federalism a good idea is we can't always count on the president of the United States being incredibly competent and focused and all that. And so that's where someone like, say, a Mike DeWine can say, you know what, I'm not going to wait around for D.C. I'm just going to go ahead and do this thing. And so in that sure. sense, it's a, you know, a lot depends on who you have uh, on who you have at the top, which is just like, you know, I could say I'm all in favor of a philosopher king. But, you know, it's got to be the right philosopher king. So so there's that. So that's kind of my take on it. Well, you know, here's and, and I, I'll follow up on 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 that because you're right on a lot of things and maybe wrong on a little bit. but. Okay. Um, the the fact is that's the system we have yeah, uh, yeah. whether it, it works well or not works well and the the goal of federalism is not necessarily there were there are a couple of goals and this this really goes to i think a lot of aspects of our constitution um the goal is not to have the perfect government the goal is to have a legitimate accountable government um so that, uh, look, if your governor didn't didn't do so well in this crisis, uh, then uh, then you've got recourse at the next the next election. Um, it's also, as uh, the Supreme Court has said, uh, you know, famously that the states are sort of laboratories of democracy. And and, and especially, I think, in this kind of situation where there are so many unknowns, um, uh, conflicting data. Uh, coming in and and conflicting needs, right? Obviously, South Dakota uh, is different than Ohio, is different than New York, sure. uh, different than California. Um, so I, I think it it certainly is is sensible to allow uh, those states uh, to fashion whatever responses they feel appropriate. And in some states, they may feel, look, um, you know, our risk, you know, given our states population, given our state's population density, given the industries that, that we work in, g- given those those things, uh, a stay-at-home order uh, is, you know, they're, they're going to do that balancing themselves uh, and, 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 and live with that, yeah. right? And, and that's, so to me, that's, that's why I think, um, well, not only I think is federal is 
system may be a better system, but but it's the one. It is the one that is is uh, enshrined in the Constitution. Yeah, and, and um, yeah, I, I agree. I agree largely because it it is it is very helpful when you you know you can make these decisions based on yeah. Uh, here's what these local, guys did. How did it work out yeah. for them? Yeah. And and uh, yeah. So another thing, though, I think is that it's not necessarily an all or nothing thing. It's not a states you're on your own or I have total authority. And this is where I think we've seen some of the bigger failures. And you know. In our system, what I see as the role here is certainly the governors get to call many of these shots when it comes to public health and safety. But there's a there's an important coordinating role when we're talking about national crises, and that's not taking charge. That's just making sure that there's not as you know, not that much sand in the gears and things move smoothly to and from and so forth. And I think sure. that's where we've seen. Uh, some failures, and part of that is just because it's so difficult to ramp up from zero to hundred, you know, in a very short period of time. But but part of it also, I think, just has to do with uh, you know issues we've been talking about in the last you know month or two about uh, the administration, maybe or not, maybe the administration just sort of hoping this would hoping this would go away. Well, I think we all hoped it would go away, and I think in, in fairness, uh, there were there were a lot of the. Uh, advice that came out early was, look, it's not going to be that this bad, um, and that was advice that was was you know in the press uh, coming out of CDC and so forth. So, but but setting that aside, um, and and back to the, the federalism point, and this this is something I, I think is kind of interesting because the the place where there's the the juncture where that coordinating uh, comes in is with commerce, uh, right? The Constitution has the Commerce Clause, uh, which says that Congress shall have authority to regulate commerce among the states. Um, And I had an interesting question from a a friend and a listener, um, actually, after the the Trump thing. So what about the Commerce Clause Uh, in in terms of doesn't that give the president uh, authority to to essentially enhance sweeping regulations or to overrule a state that says we want to stay closed? Uh, and the Trump president will say, no, I'm, I'm I not think really, I don't think. And I think, you know, there have been cases, there have been cases before the Supreme Court about, uh, uh, about coercive, what you would call coercive federal government, uh, mandates to the states. And there have been some instances exactly. where, but yeah. in my, in my, my first thought of that was Sibelius. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The case, not the composer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I, I think certainly you could argue that. Maybe it seems like there are things the federal government could do to force the issue. But I think when push came to shove, the courts would probably say that most of those things would be unconstitutionally coercive uh, to the states. Right. And I, I, I would agree. But I think it's an interesting question to, yeah. to throw out there. My, and my other thing I looked at is, even so, I think whatever those actions would be, they would necessarily be congressional actions. Um. Now, the president might do something pursuant to some authority uh, given him uh, by Congress. And, and yeah. for that, back to say something like a Wickard versus Phil, Philburn, right, that gave the, uh, uh, the Department of Agriculture the authority to set quotas on, on wheat. Um, so still the executive was, was taking a very big um, uh, step into, into regulating uh, very you know, individual parts of people's lives. Um, uh, but that was also being done pursuant to, you know, congressional authority. So right. yeah, I mean, my, right my now thought, we have, yeah, right now we have the Defense Production Act, which is sort of exactly. the, the, That's the, a main, good yeah, the yeah. main thing in play in play here that uh, that I and a lot of folks on the left feel that the president should be making a much more aggressive use of. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Why isn't, isn't Trump doing commanding more? Well, yeah, yeah well, <laughs> coordinate. Certainly, I would say coordinating more. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. You know, uh let's kind of move on. You know, we've been focusing a lot over the last few months on sort of latest development type of things. And I think that's understandable given the situation we're dealing with. But I think it's sometimes good to try to take a step or two back and consider more generally how things are going, basically, with something this big. And it can be really easy to to not do that, to be caught up in the the moment by moment, especially when it's so, you know, when it's so affecting everyone's real life in such a, such a tangible way. And so I've been thinking about a lot about this because in part this week, I asked my upper level class in American political institutions to answer 
four questions about kind of a big overview thing and provide their best possible justifications for their responses. And, you know, I, I thought it occurred to me, wow, this would make for a really great discussion on the show. And uh, so, Jay, I, I know we talked about this before and you you agreed. And so what we're going to do next is uh, I'll raise these four questions one at a time and then we'll talk about our answers to them and uh, how we came about those answers. So, yeah, Jay, if good. you're ready to go. I'm ready to go. Okay, here we go. The first question I asked is, how would you rate the Trump administration's preparation for the COVID-19 pandemic? So things that happened in 2019 and before, basically. And the options I gave to my students and what we'll be using today is we're going we're gonna to force ourselves into clear answers, you know, ca- categories. Uh, exceptional, very good, good, mediocre, bad, very bad, and awful. So a standard kind of seven-point sure. scale. So Jay, somewhat satisfied, somewhat. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so on that, on that scale, using those seven descriptors, which one would you say is in your view, uh, the best fit for, again, not the response to, but the Trump administration's preparation for the COVID-19 pandemic, or really, since we couldn't have known it was COVID-19, any pandemic. Which um, before you, before before you mentioned that, I got to say that it just occurred to me. And I don't know if you heard about this, but it's earlier this week. Uh, Kellyanne Conway was giving some kind of interview or briefing, and she said something like, "Well, the uh, the WHO should have known because hey, it's COVID nineteen, folks, and like the idea being that there were eighteen before that. Right, 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 said, right. No, it said um, no, it's the year there, Kellyanne. So uh, there was no a correction on that. But anyway, I thought that was. It made me roll my eyes and groan at the same time. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. So I would say um, mediocre uh, to to maybe, uh, again, I guess what we're measuring against is the baseline of how prepared can you be against any pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So, and also what costs uh, do you, do you have to incur way against uh, what would be, I guess, absolute preparation? Good point. Yeah. Right. So I, I think there's there's sort of a cost benefit analysis there, and it, it's one of these things that it's not even necessarily co- conscious cost benefit analysis. It's sort of a uh, look when you have a hundred year uh, pandemic, uh, every hundred years, um, you you tend to forget about it, and it tends to fade in your memory as far as uh, policy priorities, right? Because you you say hell that hasn't happened in a hundred years. Um, so in in that respect. Um, Look, it, it it absolutely could have been better. On the other hand, uh, to guard against every type of possible pandemic um, is is one difficult, if not impossible, to predict what's coming down the pike next. Uh, and and second, um, uh, it it might not be the the best use of of your your resources when you have other you know more pressing issues. Immigration. Um, Immigration, no, pouring well, in across I mean, the I'll, borders, I'll, I'll, yeah. I, and I'll, I'll throw on perhaps this is unfair, uh, but look, about a year or so ago, maybe not even that long ago, uh, you and I had a discussion about uh, should the CDC uh, be studying gun violence. Um, my my response was uh, no, the CDC ought to be uh, expending its resources uh, looking at infectious diseases, um, but. That's you know that look that's that's an argument that any group any 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 government entity has limited resources uh, and where is it going to apply them and and people were making the argument look gun violence is a really big problem we ought to focus more resources on that um, and then sort of you know inherent implicit uh, I, I don't think it was a conscious thing but but there was sort of a, a hell when have we had a you know a panda a real Pandemic. Now, I suppose you could say SARS and, and MERS and so forth, but they obviously weren't anywhere near the, the scope of what we're experiencing now. So, so that's that's how I arrive at my my mediocre to, to maybe even mediocre plus. But okay, yeah, I, medio, mediocre with understanding, I guess. Okay, right. Sure. That's, that's that maybe maybe mediocre is about as as good as you can ever do with this kind of thing. Okay, yeah, I I think that's that, that seems like a 
I get what you're saying there. On, uh, on the CDC thing, I think, just, just for clarification, I think my argument was that the CDC should be able to, to fund it as opposed to doing it themselves, because, of course, epidemiologists doing gun sure. violence research. But anyway. Uh, but again, that funding could also have been sure. CDC could, could have fund, hey, hey, should we some, fund some pandemic sure. response yeah. guys? Your larger point, I get, yeah. Yeah. Now, now, me, my response to that question is I would be somewhere between the very bad and awful, uh, raging more closely toward awful. And to put this in context, I would give the Obama administration a, a grade of either bad or very bad. So I think the Obama administration largely dropped the ball on this. And then uh, the uh, Trump administration just took the ball and just set it on fire, basically, you know, and threw it down a sewer. So here are my reasons for that. All of the stuff that you mentioned about, you know, making these trade-offs and so forth, we have to consider in the context of a lot of people were giving warnings about this, the seriousness of this, for really for several decades. And we have had scares like the SARS and the MERS thing that were, you know, close calls, easily could have been, if a few things had been different, a lot worse. And there were, you know, there were all kinds of exercises and, and scenarios that were played out. So this idea that we couldn't have expected this, no, a lot of people knew that it was just a matter of time before we were going to get something like this, if not worse. And so I don't think in the first place that the Obama administration did nearly enough to, to ramp up for that. Uh, but secondly, I think why the Trump administration is worse in this sense, much worse, is that they actually went in the opposite direction. So the Obama administration didn't didn't grow resources and build capability enough, but the Trump administration went in the other way. And this is stuff we've talked about in the show already, eliminating the global pandemic group and the NSC, not staffing up key agencies, not having a pandemic plan in place, not having, you know, sufficient emergency responses, that sort of thing. So to me, that translates into either very bad or awful, and probably push comes to shove, I'd call it awful. Okay. I'd push back a little bit on, and we could talk about this some other time, but on the the, the, the pandemic uh, uh, task force and NSC, I mean, in, in reality, what would happen was a lot of those folks were just rolled into a larger NSC organization. They got rid of that specific pandemic task force, but we still had the employees, we still had the capabilities. Uh, it was just sort of a, a government reshuffling. Now, it may not may or not have been the, the wisest uh, or the best. But again, it's one of those things of, of you're looking at efficiencies and what do we need and what do we need right now? Um, and, and you know, in, in placed well, in, in that respect, I don't yeah. know that. that my yeah, my so. response anyway. to that would be is that's that's the larger problem with the Republican view of government is it's all about efficiency and just in time and as little as possible. And then when something big and tragic and awful happens, the government's just not prepared to deal with it. And so that's why I think other things being equal, Democratic governments are going to be largely Democratic governments are going to be in a far better position to deal with this sort of thing than Republican governments. But again, that's a that's a much bigger conversation for for another time, certainly. Okay. question two. Okay. How would you rate the Trump administration's response to the COVID-19 pandemic? Again, using the same scale. So this is everything from really beginning of January to today. Same scale. Okay. So um, I'd want to draw maybe a a little line of distinction between the Trump administration and Trump. Well, he's, um, you know, he is, he is sort of part of the administration. <laughs> well, I, mean. I know, I know. But, but there are sort of, there, there are sort of the, what the administration does. And what um, he says. And there's what Trump says. Okay, no, that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, for example, uh, I would say the CDC, Dr. Fauci and, and, and so forth are part of the Trump administration, um, but they are not Trump. Even though they're, uh, so they're whole, it, well, let me, let me be, let, let's, let's clarify it then a little bit, I guess, because if we say, what is the, what has the executive branch bureaucracy response been? That's one thing. When we're talking about Trump administration, we're sort of talking, I think, more about Donald Trump, about the, the political White House staff and uh, appointed political. Yeah, as opposed to Fauci, who's been around for, what, for decades, basically, just as kind of a sure. carryover from past administrations. Because I think pretty much everyone seems to think uh, outside of, I don't know, maybe Fox News or something, that he's doing an excellent job. Sure. Um, I would say that the Trump uh, um, administration, uh, the Trump response has been bad. Okay. <laughs> put, okay. Put it in Trump, Trump's very bad. Okay. <laughs> the worst, um, all caps. No. Um. And and uh, um, no, and I, I say that 
in terms of, of not any particular policy issue, but rather just the tone, the the lack of, uh, you know, this is the old word, uh, gravitas. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at that in terms of, of what I've seen here in Ohio with Governor DeWine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, and I may not, I, I may or may not agree with absolutely everything that, that uh, DeWine has done. Um, but there, there's no doubt in my mind that he is a very serious uh, person and is considering these issues very seriously um, and is viewing this as I want to do what's best for the state of Ohio, its people, its businesses, its economy, its health and so forth. Right. Um, right. The Trumpian response has, has been this more of the. This is all about me, and it's 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 the government, you know, the Democrats or the media out to get me. Um, and again, just sort of a lack of 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 seriousness, I guess. Um, so that's that's now again, I, I'm not pointing at, at any direct policy issues because I don't have I don't have huge disagreements on on policy stuff. I mean, he more did the, leadership, the, yeah, okay, exactly. More more just the. Um, it's almost as if, uh, you know, Winston Churchill during the Blitz or something, if he'd gone out and just, you know, really complained about uh, the Labor Party. Uh, you know what I mean? It's sort of it's <laughs> yeah, sort of yeah. Like the bombs are following the You know what I mean? It's sort of the. Um, no know, prime minister most, has ever been more persecuted party. than I have. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I think that in in that sense, uh, I would I would rate him bad because this is in, in many ways. um I don't want to say this is what something that the presidents look for, hope for, whatever. I, I certainly wouldn't say that. But this this is is that opportunity, those those moments where, look, if you're if you're there, you get the opportunity to really step up, yeah. and do something important. You get to be, you know, FDR after Pearl Harbor. You, you get, you know, what I mean, you get, yeah, and and um, but, you know, but, it's almost yeah. But at the heart of leadership, and I think you'll agree with this, is putting others before yourself. And if you're yeah. incapable of doing that, then you're going to be a bad leader. Doesn't yeah. matter. And, and there's know. there's this very much this sense of, you know, for for real leaders, a a sense of look, the game's on the line here. You know, put me in, coach. Yeah. You know what I mean? That sort of, and not this sort of like, well, I'm gonna, this guy. You know that? Sure. So no, that's that's how I arrive at my bad or. Very bad. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> my mine would be a little worse. That's because not only do I agree with you on the leadership, <laughs> worse than very bad. Well, yeah, terrible. But, but but not only do I agree with you on the leadership question or lack thereof, but I have some policy issues as well. You know, things like again, I feel like the Defense Production Act should have been invoked earlier and and still should be invoked much more aggressively to do things. I feel like the CDC really blew it. And so this is really more, I guess this starts to get more into just general bureaucratic response. I mean, there were the, the WHO. Well, I was trying to draw the line there. Yeah, I know. And that, that's fair. So I should say that, you know, but, but also that, you know, the president saying things obviously like anyone who wants a test can get a test like a month ago. And right. to me, that's like the Trump administration's version of the Obama. You remember the Obama and some some right. conservatives still say like your health plan. Yeah. yeah. And this is a much worse version of it, of course, because it's, you know, a literal uh, life and death thing for a lot of folks. But anyway, so. So, yeah, I think uh, I certainly agree with you about that. And especially during a time like this, the president shouldn't be out in front, just flat out lying about things, which he just can't seem to help himself doing. Well, I don't know. You know, I'm so sorry. I don't know that sometimes with Trump, it's it's lying. Like if you want a test, you can get a test. Is this a George um, Costanza thing where as long as you I believe it, it it's, it's it not is. a lie? And I don't know whether it's it's this is something he's told by his, his people uh, or that it's just uh, stuff he just well, says. Well, but, let me give you an some, example. In some just, respects, I, I do think there is there is an element of that. But that, I mean, let me give you an example. Like just a couple days ago, the president said testing is an all time high and it's growing at a, at an historic rate. And that's just that's true. No, that that's actually not true. If you pull up the you pull up the COVID tracking project data, testing is not at an all time high. Just by daily new tests, it's simply not. Testing is largely stalled out or maybe growing slightly larger, but it was actually much higher uh, at a number of other dates. And it's just not growing at a historic rate. I mean, it's growing very slowly and it's largely stalled out. So these are things that are just clear factual untruths 
And well, I would, I would, how are you measuring testing though? Is it is it pure number of tests done? Is new it tests test every capita? day. Is it, new okay. tests every day. You know, and so these things are just not true. And he keeps on, especially the testing thing really bothers me. Because of course, you know, with this whole with this whole plan to get the country moving again, which I you know I certainly support doing as soon as is safely possible, that all relies on testing. And the fact of the matter is, is we're stalled out at around 150,000 or so tests a day, and almost everyone who knows anything about this says we need to be at around 500,000 tests a day. And there's no clear way for us to get from 150 to 500 without removing a lot of these bottlenecks. And, and there are some pretty significant bottlenecks in terms of supplies at, at this yeah. point, largely. And so this idea that somehow mad that the president really seems to want to believe in hard enough and it'll be true that somehow all this will be fixed by May 1st. That's just that's just magical thinking. And I don't want a president who's, you know, engaged in magical thinking about something like this. Yeah. Well, on the on the testing issue, and we're, we're this is maybe go a little off track. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this sort of goes to a bigger philosophical thing, I think, that that you and I differ a lot of conservatives and, and liberals differ on is just the capability of, of the government. Now, as I understand, a lot of this has to do with the lack of the, the testing reagent. Yeah, and things just, like swabs as well. Yeah. But yeah, basic yeah there's supplies. Also, but I think, as I understand it, some of the other, like the, the test tubes and the swabs, those are, those are easily more easily solved, right? You can find another supplier for those. It's just sort of logistics thing or somebody can shift or do that. It's this getting this reagent. Um, and, and in many cases, the so many uh, folks on the left sort of, um, while while ironically often rejecting a, a, a sort of more traditional faith, uh, believe that the government is omnipotent, right? That that somehow or another, if if uh, Trump just commanded more reagent to be there, it would be there. Um, well, and I, I think, think this no, is just I, one I of those. That's... Look, it's 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 you, you got to make the stuff. We well, didn't have the yeah, stuff. Nobody and has I agree. the stuff. There, there are some people who have too much faith in that. Just we can make it so. But I think what most people on the left, myself included, believe is that the problem is largely one of coordination, and that that's where we still have a situation where governors are are battling in the open market to try to find these things. And you know, right. and this is a since this is a global thing. The fact that we don't have a whole lot of U.S capability for a lot of things. I think there's one one place in the country that makes the swabs that we need right. for this. And so this is where well, the they're federal- They're making more at Ohio State now. Well, what's that? They're making more at Ohio State. Well, that's great. You know, but this is where the federal government's coordination abilities come in. This is what the Defense Production Act was, in a sense, designed to do, is the federal government saying, you know what, you're going to make these, we're going to buy all of them, and we're going to parcel them out based on need, as opposed to, well, let's just see if New York outbids Texas for these things. And that's right. just not right. a that's good way to run enough. things. In the well, yeah. although, although there is a, as I understand, there's, there was a federal clearinghouse sort of that rations this stuff to the states. There was, they had so much, and then each state gets its allocation, and then the problem is that you know states have received that allocation, but everybody needs more. So, well, and a part of the problem with that is the allocations have been anything but transparent. And then you've had the president saying that, well, you know, if people aren't going to be appreciative enough, that we're not going to talk to them. And <laughs> whether or not that's how things are going, that's obviously that goes back to the this is not the message you send. Is saying that hey, this is an example to you know to get more fealty from the governors in exchange for me maybe helping to save some lives in their states. Not a good not a good message to be sure a little bit nicer mike you might get yeah, your test exactly, yeah, exactly. all right um so question three how would you rate congress's preparation for the covid19 pandemic again on that same scale jay um i'd say good um you know again looking at preparation and in in congress um i guess in, I, would, I would draw a distinction between congress and the executive branch yeah that, absolutely Congress's job isn't so much to be prepared for stuff. Congress's job is more to be reactive, right? Um, now you can say, uh, you know, we should have allocated more for for this program or that program in the past. Um, but again, I think that's, I think that's that's a tough call to make. I mean, I think we had had resources, uh, you know, but again, it's one of those. Does does the hundred year thing? And again, a hundred year doesn't mean it happens every hundred years on the dot. Although this one was pretty close, um, 
it, it it's not predictable like that. Um, it's not we're going to have a pandemic in two years. Let's start socking away more money or investing more in in you know pandemic research. Um, and and even so, you know I'm not clear exactly what you can do when you get when you get a novel virus. It's necessarily novel, novel and you got to work off off that to develop a, a vaccine quickly. You can't have a general. It's not like you could have a general vaccine just sort of sitting around ready to go. Sure. Uh, so, so in that respect, I would say good. Now, and also, I, I look at Congress more in terms of uh, the economic response, uh, and that happened well, that, fairly that's, quickly. That's response, though. Let's that's that's the fourth question. So let's hang on. For yeah. That. Okay. Oh, that's All a right. separate question, but we will get to that. So for me, I'd rate it, I rate it as very bad because I disagree with your premise. I believe that Congress actually does have a role before these things happen, and it is in building up programs and allocating funds. So, for instance, I think that uh, Congress has been for decades underfunding public health programs or grants to public health programs at the state and local level. And these are our first line responders, and they were pretty quickly overwhelmed. I also think that Congress has been clearly underfunding the strategic national stockpile. They've been cutting uh, HHS preparation funding. Uh, So I think in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of us on the left say, well, it was no problem for Congress to pass a $1.5 trillion tax cut, but yet even a fraction well, of that. It was, it was a problem. Well, it, it, well, I mean, well, it was something that was, there was the political will to do, easy. certainly, but there wasn't the political will to, you know, say the funding for the stockpile, for instance, which, you know, there's been obviously problems with it being, that being overwhelmed. It's been around 600 to $700 million a year. And so, you know, the agency in charge of it, I forget the name, last year said, hey, we need we need like a billion dollars or more to make sure that our expired drugs are replenished and we have, you know, up to date equipment and that didn't happen. So we're not talking about massive amounts of money here. And so I think that Congress has fallen down on the job. And again, this is for not just for the last few years, this is a long term thing. And in terms of the hundred year sort of thing, yeah, but we've had some warning shots here. So it's not like this came out of the blue. You meant, you know, you mentioned the SARS and the MERS and all kinds of warnings. And so I think Congress has really not done a very good job in preparing on that. Let me, let me um, ask the question though, is that would, would we necessarily think that more expenditures uh, in the past, say, you know, a couple of years ago, would have made that much a difference against this. Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, okay. if if uh, state and local public health departments were better funded, I think that would make that would make a a, a big so? difference through through grants. I mean, the, the fact that you no just, no no. I mean, I mean, so you have have more money. What do you do with it? Well, you you don't you have the personnel on the ground to do to do uh, tracing and to do things like I mean, you know, all the things that right. public health offices do. But that wasn't the problem. The problem is we just didn't have an actual enough actual physical reagent stuff, and also with tracing on oh, no. this. Part, part the, the, of the, problem. the difficulty is you have a, a situation where this disease is so weird, where a a significant uh, minority, um, uh, by some estimates, you know, thirty percent up to up to half, have no or minimal symptoms, um, and also it doesn't. You know, you're contagious uh, even before you have symptoms, and uh, so it's. I'm, I'm thinking that's that's you know. The tracing issue, you could sort of say, well, look, we have um, uh, uh, we have tons of employees to go trace people. Uh, but unless you have the, the facilities to test absolutely everyone, which is what we're, we're you know, going to eventually gear up for, um, you know, that's that's not going to be that effective, I don't think. Well, I, you know, just, I, I, just because of the weird nature of, of this disease. Sure. Well, as for the testing thing, the CDC test was very flawed, and a lot of people in the in that community say it's, it's interesting to note that the WHO test, which you know the president's now you know, holding funding on because of their awful well, the, I, the China thing's a separate story, and I tend to actually right. agree in part <laughs> with the president on that. But the CDC dropped the ball pretty clearly on the testing on that, and that's more of a response than a preparation. And so, okay. I mean, all right, so we'll, yeah, we'll move on to response. Then. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so. The last question, how would you rate Congress's response to the COVID-19 pandemic? And you can go ahead and start us off again, Jay. So I'm, I'm going to say Congress's response, uh, good so far, uh, for the reasons that we 
that I, I set forth uh, before okay. and, and, and on prior shows. Again, it's one of these things where it, it uh, it's not easy for me and my conservative soul to say, uh, boy, I really I'm really glad Congress is spending uh, two trillion dollars. Um, but uh, that said, this is this is the type of emergency um, when those when that kind of action is is needed. Um, now, I think the, some of the issues that have 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 occurred, and this is something that that's endemic with with Congress, with government, with anything. If you say, look, uh, this this was an issue with the Obama stimulus of we're going to allocate, uh, however, uh, billion, many hundreds of billions or trillions of dollars uh, to these pro, uh, programs, but um, it's it's how do you actually get it out there? It's it's sort of um, you know, you can say we, we're turning on all the water and all the water departments, um, but unless you have a, a hose, you know, to hook up to the fire hydrant, um, it, you know, the water doesn't get where it needs to go. Right. That's what liberals have been saying forever, is that our government is just too small. And so when we have things like that, we just don't have the governmental infrastructure but, 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 to get but it but out. Keep in mind, a lot of this, a lot of this, though, uh, for example, the um, SBA funding. That has always operated uh, and necessarily and, and smartly, I think, through private institutions. Uh, you don't get a loan directly from the government. You get a loan from the bank that's backed up by the government, sure. um, which gets money through the Fed. So I, I think it's, it is just a matter of um, we all we are trying to, like, you know, pump sort of like fire hydrant type, uh, you know, pressure amounts of water sort of through a garden hose. And yeah, that's absolutely that's sort of the issue. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would say that Congress's response has been mediocre. Uh, on, on the positive side, I think, yeah, yeah. I, I think Congress moved at a for its for Congress a relatively quick pace to approve a pretty massive, uh, not pretty massive, a massive aid package. Massive. Now I think that there were more. I think it could have been more. I think it could have been better in some ways. I there were a few partisan delays on both sides, really. That you know. A matter of days doesn't seem like a lot, but if it, if the whole thing had been approved a week earlier, that you know, for for some people, that can really make a a, a true difference. Uh, I'm concerned right now about difficulties we're having, Congress is having in building on that. I think right now we need Congress actively debating and developing a Phase Four package, and there seems to be some hesitancy on the right. To do that, and I think just I think the more time we're able to spend working this out beforehand, the fewer problems there are going to be when you know when it comes to implementation. Uh, and along with that, I think it's unconscionable that Congress has not developed a plan to work and vote remotely, at least much more formal kind of plan. Obviously, informally, they're doing tons of that. And this is a way where I'm going to defend. This is weird. I'm going to defend uh, uh, Representative Thomas Massey, who. He got a lot of heat. I think it was like a week and a half ago or so. He was demanding a uh, an in-person roll call vote as opposed mm -hmm. to unanimous consent or I forget what it was. And a lot of people said, oh, you know, he's putting lives in danger. But from what I understand, I read into it. What Massey's point was is he was arguing that Congress needs or the House in this case needs a remote voting system so that when these big things are being done, members of right. Congress are on the record and it's just not a unanimous consent thing. And I thought, you know what? That's an entirely reasonable and important point. And I get that, you know, Mitch McConnell claims to be big traditionalist of the Senate. And, you know, Daniel Webster didn't vote through email or, you know, did Zoom conferences or anything like that. But, you know, I think I think it's it's high time that we we see something like that in Congress develop something like that so they can be as effective as possible in times when we most need Congress to be working and, and doing stuff, you know, and they've kind of had to build up an infrastructure out of nothing. And that certainly has caused delays. And that delay, those delays are going to be felt both in terms of economic and health consequences for a lot of Americans. Yeah. Well, we touched on this a couple of weeks ago and, and I, I, I would agree that, uh, you know, there that ad adaptation ought to be uh, put together as soon uh, as possible, if not, if not, you know, beforehand, right? Yeah. Uh, even if you have an imperfect system uh, to do that, my my concern, my fear as a traditionalist is that that then becomes the norm. Not not this is the emergency procedure. Uh, we can only um, uh, you know vote uh, uh, you know 
will we'll vote by remotely uh, right. all the time. Uh, yeah, because can't I think be like, well, my kid has a recital, so yeah, I'm going to vote remotely or something like that. Yeah, yeah I, I, I see I, what you're I, saying. And because I, I think something is lost when you don't have people actually there face to face working together. Um, you know, so often, uh, you know, people say that the, the, you know, one of the problems in in Washington is now the, it's the loss of collegiality that that these these people don't uh, as they used to sort of you know, go out afterwards, drink after, you know, carouse um, together, that sort of thing, that that there was this sort of uh, a camaraderie that, that led to uh, more compromise. Um, and that would be my fear is that uh, uh, otherwise everyone is just sort of siloed off and they just uh, vote the party line from remotely from wherever, wherever they happen to be. Yeah, I think so, I think so yeah, that, that part of it my, is my caveat to that. Obviously, this is an exception. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, it should be viewed as an exception, and again, not just a oh, we'll use this because well, it's kind of inconvenient for people to vote um, this time. Yeah. You know, one one final thing I wanted to mention, I kind of briefly alluded to it, and I, I feel like I, I should expand on this and is that the the whole uh world health organization issue of course that was i guess you could say i don't know i'd say a minor issue but it certainly was the thing that came up this week with you know with uh, the administration saying that they're going to uh withhold funding for the who uh, already appropriated funding by congress pending an investigation in, you know into their uh, how they've handled this crisis and so forth and a lot of people on the left uh, are certainly saying that this is Donald Trump trying to shift blame to, or shift the focus to anyone but himself. And I, I certainly think that's part of it. But I, I also think, you know, it's important to not reflexively say, well, if the administration's saying it or doing it, it's bad or wrong. Because in this case, even though I think the WHO's response has generally been pretty good, it seems to me, looking into the evidence, pretty clear that the WHO was far too willing to just sort of say, oh, yeah, these are Chinese numbers and I'm sure they're fine and China's doing a wonderful job. And so they, and they in fact, did congratulate President Xi uh, on on the great job he's been doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. As did Donald Trump, of course. But, you know, that's a <laughs> well, well, and they also they also uh, the World Health Organization also made statements saying, well, we can't really we can't really say that this uh, uh, began in China. Yeah. Um, so which, I, again, to me that I. Yeah. So I think I think you're mostly right. I would you know, I would say um, Trump may be goofed on the timing of this. Right. Because I think on the merits, he's he's correct. And. And uh, the fact that, that uh, we've had the, the wailing and gnashing of teeth from the WHO and from all these other countries um, who, who could certainly freely uh, up their contribution if they wanted, um, you know, sort of tells the story. Uh, so but on the other hand, but I, wouldn't, know, I, I wouldn't have what I'm saying is I would, politically I wouldn't have done it, injected it now. No. Uh, in the midst of the crisis, I would have waited a couple of months yeah, from now yeah. as things have stabilized and said, oh, you know what, WHO, now we're going to take a look. Exactly. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. And I think that's something that absolutely does need to be investigated. And, you know, I think on the other side of things, the, the WHO's reluctance to push on China is in part due to the fact that they felt that the more they push, the less access they get and the more they shut, the more China shuts down. And so, it's, I mean, with with non-transparent, non-democratic governments, there's always that balancing act in the international system. And that's why transparency is, is so important because you push too hard and they shut down and you get nothing, but you don't push hard enough, then you don't get as much as you would like. And so that's, you know, that's why I would say one of many reasons why it's better to have a transparent democratic government that's accountable as opposed to, you know, what we have in China. And I don't think you're sure. going to disagree with me on that. No, sure. no, no, absolutely not. And, yeah. I, and I'll also say, again, this just goes to a, a conservative versus liberal uh, view on a lot of international organizations. Um, and the conservative view, and you can even say this is a money spending thing. Of, look, why not just, you know, take the money we're sending to the World Health Organization, which I'll, I'll, I'll give you probably does a whole lot of other good stuff in terms of uh, preventing disease worldwide. Uh, but still, at heart, is not a scientific body. It's a political body. Um, why don't we take that money in here and keep it here, give it to the CDC or spend it on state uh, health agency prepara preparation, that sort of thing? See, I, you know, I guess that's the yeah. question is, is could that money be better spent? See, I don't think it's neither or. Not relying on on someone else who is who's or some other organization that is 
necessarily has to put other interests ahead of uh, our own or even uh, ahead of uh, global health. Well, I, I would say it's not an either or type of thing. I think we could we could do more in both areas, certainly. And that I, you know, I feel it's not surprising as a person to the left. I feel that our our funding uh, uh, focus is sometimes very, very uh, on the wrong sort of things. And we don't fund nearly enough of the sort of things I would like to see us fund instead of, and I referred earlier to yeah. the tax cut, that sort of thing. So, well, exactly. Well, though, although after you just spent two trillion, it, it's kind of getting to be more an either or situation. We just start looking at more things as either or situations. Right. So, yeah, I would, I would be okay with legislation that would say rescind the tax cut. I'd be good for that. There's another, you know, 1.5 trillion. We can fix the World Health Organization. Well, you know, not, not all of it, certainly, but, <laughs> You know, that's, I, that's your campaign reasonable. slogan. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I wouldn't get too far. <laughs> raise your taxes and give it to these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay. Let's move on to recommendations. Jay, what do you got this week? Oh, um, this is going to, this is, this is going to seem weird, particularly to you because okay. we have a history on this issue. Um, I've been watching uh, Ken Burns's uh, PBS uh, show on country music. Really? And, and enjoying it uh, immensely more than I, more than I expected. Wow. Um, and, and I know, yeah, you and I had for, you know, viewers who don't know us, Mike at one time used to have what was called country night, um, in the dorm, uh, <laughs> where you would, Oh uh, yes. Yeah. I remember you were not a big fan. I was not a big fan. <laughs> it drove country. you out, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I found something else to do on, on country night. Oh yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, no, I, it's, it's, it's great. And I, I love, um, uh, you know, this, this type of examination of sort of what, what's sort of the American soul, American character, you know what I mean? I, sure. I, I just, I dig that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm enjoying it uh, immensely. I also spent like about a week in Nashville uh, about two years ago. And I really like that. And I, I do have an affection for sort of like older country music, the older kind of classic stuff, the stuff you were playing, the, um, was <laughs> the rock is uh, sort of, yeah, I get you. You were, you were more like the, um, there was there was more than a little bit of Hank Osimus Williams Jr. that of, would yeah. pop in there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, yeah, I get yeah, that. But, uh, okay. So anyway, no, I, I I'm I I would recommend that to people, and I, I don't know if you can get it just on regular PBS. We've got it through an app thing, and because I am a PBS donor, um, in addition to my tote bag, I also get like free access to, um, uh, some of these shows. Yeah. So all right. Well, I have a couple of things. First off, I just want to thank the folks who have been helping me out with my book in progress, The Reluctant Detective. And uh, I have a bunch of chapters up now. There have been a lot of really useful comments and so forth. And I, as I have in, in weeks past, I will include the link on there so you can read along and comment and so forth. So thanks for that, guys. And secondly... My second recommendation is a show called I'm Sorry. Uh, it's on Hulu, and it stars a Andrea Savage, who I just dearly love. I think she's just wonderful. Uh, there's even a political connection here. Now, the show is not political, but uh, uh, Andrea Savage actually uh, graduated from Cornell with a major in government and a minor in law, according to Wikipedia. And she uh, directed a 2012 sort of mock PSA called Republicans Get in My Vagina. And so <laughs> I haven't checked that out yet, but I probably will. And she uh, actually wrote that and stars in it, along with Kate Beckinsale and Judy Greer, who are two also awesome people. And finally, Andrea Savage had a recurring role in the HBO show Veep as President Laura Montez. So there's all kinds of sort of semi political things, but Andrea Savage is just great. And it's a just probably the funniest show uh, that I that I we're watching right now, and I highly recommend it. So there you go. All right, all right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. That is it for today's show. But Jay and I still have a lot more to talk about, including what we're gonna we're gonna be talking about our COVID nineteen sort of longer term predictions, uh, proposals for the future, a bunch of other stuff, and. All of that will be on the Supporters Midweek Show, which every Patreon supporter gets. So, again, to check that out, just go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. And if you can't afford to become a sponsor, just email me, mike at politicsguys.com, and I will hook you up. And, of course, again, if being a monthly supporter is too much of a commitment, but you still occasionally like to help us out, you can do that through PayPal. You can find the link on our website, politicsguys.com. 
Also, if you're not already a subscriber to the show, subscribing really does help, as does leaving ratings and reviews. And sharing episodes on social media is a very big deal to us. So thanks for doing that. Finally, if you want to get in touch with us for whatever reason, we love to get uh, you know questions, comments, feedback, that sort of thing. I already mentioned the what do you love, hate, feel indifferent about, I don't know, about the politics guys, mail at politicsguys.com. And of course, there's our bipartisan politics subreddit. We always put the URL there uh, in the show notes, and that's been great. And finally, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash politics guys. Oh, I lied. Finally, we're on Twitter at politics guys. The executive producers of the politics guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andre Masker, Daniel Toe, and Chris Wilkerson. Today's show is produced by me, Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show next week. We hope to join us.